Welcome to Mind Love, episode 241. Today's episode is all about five deliberate choices to help you realize fulfillment and joy. If we think of all the emotions we could ever feel and we, we map them on a scale, you know, we all kind of want to be above neutral. We want to feel good. We want to be enthusiastic and eager and interested and engaged and at the very least curious with the world around us and hopeful. Hopeful is the best emotion, right? And if, we're, if we find ourselves below neutral, most often that's, that is a really good sign that something's a little off with the relationship you have with yourself. And here's another one. If we find ourselves wanting to distract and numb, sedate, and control that inner reality by distracting ourselves, numbing ourselves, essentially what we're wanting is a break from ourself. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you're new to Mind Love, first, I am so glad you're here. And second, don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Giving your mind a little love isn't just a one-time thing, it's a way of life. Plus, more subscribers helps me attract more amazing guests and gives you more opportunities to change your life. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'd love to share a review by Woo Woo Junkie, who says, love, love, love. I was referred to the Mind Love podcast by a dear friend, and what a lighthouse Melissa has been on my spiritual journey. I've recently declared myself a woo woo junkie, craving all things holistic, spiritual, and metaphysically healing to give me that much needed positive energetic kick in the ass. And Mind Love absolutely gives me that fix. Thank you so much for leaving this review. Frankly, I feel like we'd be friends if we knew each other. So let me know if you're ever in Big Bear. And now let's get to the show. Did you know that we make an average of 35,000 choices per day? Look back at yesterday. How many of those choices were you actually aware of as you were making them? That might be a little difficult to quantify in hindsight, but let me ask you this. How many of those choices moved you toward the life you dream of living? How many of those choices added to your peace, to your fulfillment, or to your higher purpose? There was a time in my life where that answer would be none. But the strange thing is that I couldn't even see it. And it's not just that I couldn't see that my choices were practically damning me. I couldn't see that I had most of those choices at all. In the year 2000, researchers found that 90% of our choices are unconscious. 90%. So does that mean that we have little to no control over 90% of our lives? Not at all. Because the thing about those subconscious decisions is we have more control over them than we think we do. It reminds me of those old infomercials. Just set it and forget it. Those subconscious choices are controlled by our programming. And our programming can be disrupted and even consciously rebuilt from the ground up. Here are just a few of the ways that we're programmed. Messages in the media. Beliefs and opinions of our friends and family. Chemicals in the things that we consume. The thoughts that we leave unchecked. Beliefs that we leave unchallenged. And notice two key words that I just said, unchecked and unchallenged. Those are the things that get into the subconscious. Sometimes disrupting our programming is as simple as actually examining something that we think or do or say. Where did that thought come from? When did I first hear it? Does it feel aligned with the other things that I believe? What positive or negative impact does this thought or behavior have on my life? When does this usually come up for me? And my favorite question, is there a better way? And that question is your invitation to rebuild. Just simply asking yourself, is there a more empowering thought, belief, or habit that I can replace this one with? So today we're going to talk about five deliberate choices to help you realize fulfillment and joy in your life. Our guest is Amy Wong. She's the founder of Always On Purpose. She's an executive leadership coach, author, speaker and facilitator that works with organizations like Airbnb, Salesforce, Roku, LinkedIn, Facebook, and more. So three key things we will learn are how we self-impose our suffering, how to choose feeling it out over figuring it out, 
and a process called painting forward that helps you integrate new choices. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Amy Wong to the show. Oh, thank you. It's so great to be here today. So what does it mean to you to live on purpose and what led you to this teaching? I don't know, living on purpose is a really more of a way of being. The best way to talk about it is really through the lens of choice. You know, and I didn't realize when I chose the name always on purpose for my practice, you know, over 10 years ago that what it, I was actually choosing. But living into this over the past decade, I've really come to see that the gift of choice that each and every one of us have is so significantly profound. And when we can harness our choice points in a truly mindful, present way and respond instead of react to our moments, that's when we really live a life on purpose. And in those choices that are deliberate and are mindful, that's where our thriving is. And so to live on, that's really what, what it's about. And so it's an active process where we're harnessing that choice point. You know, last I'll say, you know, that quote from Viktor Frankl, I'm sure you've heard, between stimulus and response or space. And between that space is our ability to choose our response. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. So living on purpose is really harnessing that space and responding. So what was your aha moment that got you there? Were you realizing that you weren't living on purpose and and how did that show up? You know, I've been dedicated to just personal growth and transcendence really from a young age. I, I started meditating in fourth grade and was reading Wayne Dyer and Krishnamurti and, and all of these amazing spiritual leaders and thinkers really quite young. And so I, I don't think there was ever one moment where I thought, you know, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be really purposeful in my choices. I think it had been this gradual building of insight and wisdom through experience and through, you know, the the trials and tribulations of life and the reflections. And really, uh, you know, when I chose the name Always on Purpose for my practice, I really, at the, at the time, it was interesting because I wasn't super clued into what it ultimately was. It just, it sounded, it felt right. It was totally synchronistic how I came to the name and I knew, okay, this is what it has to be. And at that point in my life, it was really about, hey, we should live with more intention. We should just be more present and more mindful. And it was a more general desire for myself and and for others. But as I had that lens and continued to work with so many people over the past decade, really what started to emerge was, wait, 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 really where our power is, is in this choice point. That's where it's at. And so it's been a gradual unveiling and unraveling and and kind of a blossoming of insight. Yeah. I have that same commitment is just how much, how much intention can I add to my life? And a lot of it shows up in ways that my family thinks I'm crazy. Like it's like they'll <laughs> they'll give me anything and I'm like, "No, I don't I don't consume that. I don't put that on my body. <laughs> I don't yeah, so many things from yeah. food choices and and cosmetics and whatever and so they're just like, "Oh, Melissa just thinks everything's going to kill her." And I'm like, "Yeah, watch it. You guys are all going to die soon." So and then <laughs> just kidding. But uh, <laughs> and it, and it's I I still live that way and and I still find a, a lot of help in that because so much happens where things disrupt your endocrine system or your hormones sure. or whatever. And yeah. and it, it's interesting to me though, because I started really being super intentional about those types of things. Mm. But then as 
those things became habits and didn't really need as much intention anymore. And like, I didn't have to think about what I'm pulling from my cabinet because everything in my cabinet is now something I approve of. (laughs) Then I started (laughs) to realize how many things were underneath that. And, and like, why am I living so intentionally here? But then I'm just running on autopilot over here with the way that my mind is working or the things that I haven't confronted or all of these ways that I'm, just causing my own suffering because I'm doubting myself or I'm beating myself up or I'm, or I'm regretting things. And so I know that one of the things that you teach is that none of us are immune to self-imposed suffering. In what ways have you found that that shows up the most? Oh my gosh. I love how you teed this up because you're really getting to the heart of our, the, the power of choice. And, and I love how you said, you know, it started for you. It started with the choices for your inputs and like, what is it that you're going to bring into your life and what is it that you're going to put on your body? But really it's, how am I going to choose to focus? Where do I put my focus? Because whatever we focus on, we create. And whatever we focus on, that ultimately is going to determine the feelings we have, the thoughts we think and the things that we do and that we say. And so self-imposed suffering in short, is really nothing less than focusing in a way that doesn't serve us, focusing on a narrative that doesn't, that doesn't feel good, focusing and in, in, in having an inner dialogue that doesn't, that, that's not nourishing, right? And here's the thing. We get to choose what we're saying to ourselves. We get to choose how we look at something. We get to choose what we perceive, how we interpret, and then thus respond. But we forget that we're at choice. And so that, you know, you got right to the heart of, really what self-imposed suffering is. And it's, it's a forgetfulness that we have the remote control in our hands for our own focus. What's the narrative I'm going to tell? What's the inner dialogue that I'm going to sustain? How is it that I'm going to interpret this? What is it that I'm going to believe about myself? What is it that I'm going to know about myself? We have that remote control. But when we forget, we oftentimes, we suffer. <laughs> because, you know, our brains are, you know, we tend to think about what's more negative and what's wrong instead of what's right. Right. So you got to get a mind that remote. <laughs> it is weird how sometimes you're like, oh, wait, I have a choice in this. I was just interviewing somebody else about how we just should on ourselves all the time. And how all it's like, I yes. should do this. And, and uh, when you get into this process, you don't even really realize that you're doing it because a lot of the things are in thought. And it's not like, you spend the same amount of time thinking something, thinking a sentence as you do speaking it out loud. So you don't even really bring awareness to it. It's just driving your behavior. And so you don't realize that this isn't something you want to do, that this is something that you feel like you should do. And you don't even realize where that should is coming from. Like, is this an outside force? Because I've heard people say this. Is this a belief that I believe about the world where I'm sitting here thinking, this is how you are a good person or a good friend. And so I expect this of everybody else, even though they might have different definitions of what it means to be that. And so- we need that space to really realize how many things, how many thoughts or beliefs or really just beliefs. I was going to say inner knowings, but I feel like once it transitions to the knowing, that's when it's more from our higher self. But these beliefs that that are driving these behaviors that we don't even necessarily know what they are until we give it that time. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. 
Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. But these beliefs that are that are driving these behaviors that we don't even necessarily know what they are until we give it that time. Oh, so so well said. That's absolutely right. You know, and this is exactly the nature of autopilot. Things are just running in the background, running in the background, and we don't zoom out and we don't question, we don't examine what is this force that's driving me? Where is this coming from? And I love that you narrowed it on should because to me, should is the worst word in the English language. I think it represents, it is the epitome of resistance. It's the epitome of autopilot. And we have become conditioned to not just use it, but to falsely believe it's the reason that we're successful. Well, I'm healthy because I should be eating healthy and I should be going to the gym and I should be doing these things. And you know, and it's not that it's wrong if we use the word should, but the energy underneath what's happening with should, oh my gosh, that is, that truly is the epitome of living by default, really. So when you identify what is really holding most people back, is it just the fact that we think we don't have choice when we actually do or that we're not confronting our autopilot? The more and more I've been thinking about this, and especially as I'm talking about it because the book's coming out, you know, I think... I think it really just comes down to fear. Fear is the main reason that we're holding ourselves back and, you know, this force that drives us. And then I would say one of the biggest drivers is the relationship we sustain with ourselves. And what is it that I choose to believe about myself? What is it that I choose to know know about myself? And we're at choice to believe or know the things that we do know about ourselves or not, but we forget that we are. Yeah. I find it interesting that we can look at a relationship between two people and especially from an outside perspective, we can clearly see when there's a toxic dynamic. <laughs> In the inside, internal perspective, sometimes it takes you a little bit longer. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't know. This is just how me and my boyfriend treat each other. Like, well, you don't call your boyfriend a dumbass? And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, it's just, this is a weird love language. But then... <laughs> But then you you see it, other people can see it, and they're like, yeah, that's that's dangerous. And then we start to be able to see, okay, yeah, maybe this is dangerous. And usually with a relationship like that, you either have to get out completely or take a break, or you have to start rewiring all of the dynamics between you and that person. And it takes a really, it usually takes a pretty extreme shift <laughs> to, yeah. to end up moving out of that. Uh, That's right. For a long time, I believed that if a relationship got too toxic, there might not be any saving it. And I, I might still believe that. <laughs> oh, sure. Maybe maybe I don't. I don't know. I just need to see it in the real world. But uh, yeah. when it comes to the relationship with ourselves, yeah. we don't have the option to just cut it off, to find somebody that You're fits right. us better. And we don't always have an outside perspective unless we That's have right. a really awesome, like, spiritual friend that's like, hey, I've been hearing the way you've been mumbling to yourself under your breath, <laughs> you know, like nobody's in in yeah. our minds with us. And so that's right. that's right. How do we recognize when our internal patterns, the dynamic with ourselves yeah. is toxic and oh. that it needs shifting? And then what do we do since we can't just be like, I'm, I'm cutting off that voice and I'm like hiring another totally. one? <laughs> this is such a great question, Melissa. You know, I mean, in short form, 
it's, it's totally dependent on how you feel. How are you feeling on a normal day-to-day basis? What's your baseline, right? I like to think in terms of, you know, if, if we think of all the emotions we could ever feel and we, we map them on a scale, you know, we all kind of want to be above neutral. We want to feel good. We want to be enthusiastic and eager and interested and engaged and at the very least curious with the world around us and hopeful. Hopeful is the best emotion, right? And if, we're, if we find ourselves below neutral, most often that's, that is a really good sign that something's a little off with the relationship you have with yourself. And I mean, there, we could so dive into exactly why and what are the mechanisms for that, but really it's how we feel. And here's another one. I mean, if we find ourselves wanting to check out regularly and, and we all do, whether it's social media, whether it's shopping, whether it's alcohol or some other substance, whether it's, you know, if we find ourselves wanting to distract and numb, sedate, and control that inner reality by distracting ourselves, numbing ourselves. Essentially, what we're wanting is a break from ourself. Well, what do we want to break from? We want to break from that toxic relationship that we are sustaining. Well, what does that mean? That means, well, here it is. A toxic relationship with self is one, me, you, anyone, one believing that something's wrong, something's off. It's either of lack, not good enough, not worthy, not deserving, not complete, it's a belief of lack, of not of undeservingness. And the thing is, with these, these self-relationship that we have, it's subtle. It's not like you walk around all day saying, oh, I, I, you know, I don't believe it. So I'm, I'm of lack. I'm not good enough. It's, it's subtle. And we can tell simply by how we feel. And the feeling straight up is just not good. That's such a powerful point because I think the tendency for most people, myself at times included, until I bring awareness there, is if I'm not feeling good, I want to point to all the things externally around me that need fixing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, if I had a bigger house or if I had this or if I was closer to people that I knew or, and then, and then I feel worse because I'm just bringing attention to all of these things in my life that I suddenly want to change. And it's crazy because minutes before those things weren't even a problem. I'm like trying to assign blame for why I'm not aligned (laughs) (laughs) instead of just saying like, well, step one shouldn't be to try to figure out how to fix everything around you. Step one should be, can I first find that alignment, that peace, that wholeness right here with this and then make sure that these things that I'm grasping for are even things that I want because I'm coming from that decision at a a totally different place. And then I can start making decisions because I'm a firm believer that what you create in a certain state of mind, you will just create more of that. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, 100% right. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you see my yeah, journal entries when I'm moody. <laughs> <laughs> then I meditate, then I come back and I'm like, sorry, journal. <laughs> I just released my toxic all over you. <laughs> but what you have put together is that when we're in this kind of constant cycle of like, something's wrong, let me find it over here, I'm making yeah. myself feel worse, I... Now I'm on autopilot or I'm just beating myself up on autopilot, whatever it is. There are five distinct or deliberate choices to help people feel good and peaceful on a regular basis. What are those choices? Yeah, thank you. Well, they're perceptual shifts. And, you know, I say choices because it it is a choice to choose to shift your perception in such a way to unlock your ability to thrive, really to free yourself. So the first one, and it's a really important one, it's to feel it out, don't figure it out. And that that one's powerful because, you know, a lot of us are trained to follow the formula, which is do what you're told, get good grades, get into a good college so you can get a good job, so you can make lots of money and then you'll be happy. And so we're trained to figure out what to do next and what to achieve. And we often forget that really what we want is a feeling state. And so this choice turns that right side up <laughs> to the to the to where it needs to be. And we want to lead with, well, what is it that I want to feel? Because that is the most important question because that's everything we want, everything we think we want. It's not for the thing. It's because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. But unless we're clear about what it is that we want to feel, it's really hard to navigate. So that's the first choice. As you were talking, I'm like, I want to dive into these one by one. Sure. Because I love feeling it out, not figuring it out. 
I am at the point now in my, I guess, self-awareness journey, I'll call it, that I will almost be triggered that I'm too in my head because I can feel the weight of my head. Yes. <laughs> it sounds so odd, but like I've brought so much so much awareness to that that I'm just like, yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I like feel like I need to like put my hands on my head to like dampen the energy or something oh there. My and gosh, then like yes. move down. Down, <laughs> move, down. Yes. Yeah, it's like go back to the body. Like what That's right. is in this? And one of the mistakes I've found that is so easy to fall into is that often when you are having a problem, when you're feeling a certain way, you start wanting to assign, like we talked about earlier, like, well, where, where is this coming from? What are all these wrong things in my life that are making me feel this way? And what good does that really do other than continuously reinforce all the reasons that you're not feeling this way or feeling well? What if instead you tuned into your body and you asked yourself like, okay, where am I feeling this? Kind of get into that guidance so it's you're not talking yourself into your own pain, I guess we can call it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Strategizing so, yourself deeper into your misery, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so for you, what does figuring it out versus feeling it out look like? Yeah, no, I love how you said, you know, you can feel when it's like, there's just so much energy in your, that is the epitome of figuring it out, right? It's where it's like, and there's so much frenzy in your head and you're strategizing and it's that calculating, strategizing, trying to manipulate, think, 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 and you can feel it up here. And really at the heart of the difference, I'm going to go back to some kind of universal principles here where, you know, when I think about the universe as a whole and how this universe operates, we've, there's this principle of expansion and contraction. And the universe is expand, it's growing by virtue of expansion and contraction, expansion and contraction. And so, you know, feeling it out is really choosing the feeling that's most expansive, not contracted, but expansive. And you can actually feel that in your body. It's like where... It's like, oh, when I think about this option, when I think about this path, when I think about this choice, when I, like, does it actually give me some space? Do I feel spacious? Do I feel like my heart opens? Does it feel open and expansive versus does it feel a little contracted? Like, right? And so you might have a big dilemma on your hands and you're like, do I choose this path for my professional career or do I choose this path? And then as you, as you really consider both, it's like, well, as I consider this one, I can actually feel like, oh, it's getting a little tense. And it's like, but it might be exciting. So here's the thing about figuring it out. It's not that it's going to always be a bad feeling. It's going to feel busy. It's going to feel strategizing. And it'll be feel frenzied. And the energy, like you had mentioned, it's going to be up in your head. So now I'm figuring out how this is going to work. How that, okay, is this, is this the right move? Is this, and I think that's the right path versus, oh, this just feels relieving. This feels more open. This just feels better. And you can tell by how you're talking to yourself too. Oftentimes, when we're figuring something out, we'll say, that sounds right. Oh, that seems right. That seems logical. Oh, that, yeah, I've weighed the pros and the cons, right? So it's, again, it's that strat strategic approach versus, oh, this just feels better. Oh, I can tell in my gut. Oh, yep, no, my heart's saying. No, uh, ah, yes. And so we're, it's, it's very, we can just tell What's guiding us? Is it the, is it our head and our strategy, or is it the feeling? And the reason the distinction is so important is because, again, I'm going to come back to this idea that everything we want isn't—it's not the thing. It's not the house. It's not the more money. It's not the promotion. It's not even I want to retire. We want the things we want because we think they're going to make us feel a certain way. At the end of each desire is a desired feeling state that we're actually after. But we forget that. And then we get caught on the thing. It's like, oh, no, well, I said I wanted this promotion. Nope, I said I wanted to own my own business. because. And then we just get trapped in this thinking that, well, then the moment I'm, then it happens, then all will be well. But we haven't really thought through, well, is that going to give me the desired feeling state? And if we break that map and if we don't take it all the way and say, okay, well, this is what I wanted. Is it going to get me to that feeling state? If you just stick with the thing and you strategize your way to the thing, it will happen. But then, uh, then there's this feeling of hollowness, like, oh, gosh, my life looks great on paper, but why do I feel empty? Why do I feel like oh, this longing? What, what's missing? Well, what's missing was feeling it out in the first place, like being really clear. What is it that I wanted to feel? And 
And if I were to start following that feeling moment to moment, what feels expansive, what feels like there's inspiration here, if you start following that, that's when fulfillment starts to happen because now it's a direct line to that desired feeling state. I have a process of figuring out my goals that I figured out a couple years ago and I still use to this day because I just find it so helpful. And it sounds very similar to what you're talking about. And one of the things that my husband's been doing a lot lately too, he uh, has, I think it was like a Tim Ferriss episode, but it's talking about going seven layers into your wants because you'll understand the deepest desire of that. And usually around three or four, you've got to start thinking a little bit more. And every time we've done this exercise, it takes us to something really profound. It's like, okay, I want to launch this thing. Okay, what's the reason under that? I want to make more money. Why do I want to make more money? I want to have this stuff. Why do I want to have this stuff? I want to provide for my child. Why do I want to provide for my child? I want him to have more things than I had when I was younger. Why do I want him to have that? And it's like, I want him to really actually know more freedom than I know. Yeah, you know? Yeah, and, it's it like, yeah. and so then it's like, what's yeah. the feeling underlying that? Freedom. How That's can it. I feel freedom right now? Rather than focus on all of these things, I even got chills just saying it, and that's usually my sign when I say something from my inner (laughs) wisdom. But it's like, you can feel free right now. You you can can. feel abundant right now. In what ways do you already have that abundance or that freedom or or whatever it is? And first focus on that until you feel it in your body and then go back to that first goal. And that first goal might feel completely different and you might be inspired in whole new ways because you're not in fight or flight or you're putting all this pressure on and you can't think anymore. And instead you're being divinely inspired. And you can't think anymore. Oh, and instead yeah. you're being divinely inspired. <laughs> no, that, that's it. And that's, it's, about, it's about receiving that inspiration. But the only way you're going to be able to perceive and receive that inspiration is if you are really clear about what it's all about in the first place. So mm-hmm. bringing that into awareness, oh, really, this is about freedom. The moment that now becomes a focal point, your perception shifts. And now you can see things in your purview that were there before, but you couldn't see without that clarity. But now with that clarity, now you're going to see opportunities, possibilities. You're going to see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. That's the most amazing thing about focus, right? And so then when that happens, all of a sudden, insights, inspiration, synchronicity starts to happen. And that original goal, that first thing that you thought, you know, I want to launch this thing, it might very well still be the same thing. Like, I do want to launch it. Or you might see it in an entirely different way. And there's a, there's a direct, way more direct path to a deeper feeling of freedom as a result of that insight. So yeah. We feel it out instead of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. What is choice two? Choice two. This goes right back to what we were talking about with the word should. And choice two, this is one of the most freeing choices you can take on if you choose to take it on. But it is there is no way things or you should be, period. There is no way things should be, ever. And what happens is that many of us get stuck into this conditioned thinking that there is some ideal should standard out there <laughs> that represents the good life. You know, you should have it done by this. You should do it like that. And, you know, if you, if you want to live the good life, you got to do it just like this. You got to have the house by here. Because the word should itself, I mean, think about this. It's, it's, this is so interesting to me. The word should implies a fixed reality out there that represents the standard ideal, but that doesn't exist. There is no big book up of of shoulds in the sky. There is no standard ideal that we need to measure up to in order to live fully. And so to really release ourselves from that autopilot, the lot of much of the resistance that we unnecessarily sustain, we have to wake up to this crazy premise that, oh, wait, yeah, there is no way things should be. There is no way this should go. There is no no way I should be. There is no way this should happen. There's just the way things are. And more importantly, there's the way you want them to be, but there's no way they should be. And so that's the unlock because the moment you shift from should to want, you release so much resistance 
that you're sustaining in your equation of life. And in that releasing of resistance, right, the pushing against of reality, the pushing against of negative consequences, you reclaim a ton of bandwidth, a lot of internal emotional, intellectual resources that you can now channel in creative and generative ways. Yeah, because it's like suddenly realizing that we're following this invisible framework towards something that doesn't exist anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which takes away even our notion that it's possible to look inside for a different way to be. Because yeah. it's like everyone's following this shitty path. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I could I could take this metaphor all day long. Oh, I right. I, I should you not. <laughs> yeah, they're like sitting there in their hot steamy shoulds and uh, <laughs> and then uh we suddenly are like okay, well if that's if that's not there to follow, then what do I follow? And then all of a sudden, all we have is ourselves. And so then you have to go in and say, okay, I thought these were all the ways that I should be. If that doesn't exist, what's calling to me? That's and right. have I even spoken to this part of myself before? Have I even realized that I have internal wisdom that is just waiting to be answered? I actually had a, a weird moment where I've been, my relationship with my internal wisdom has been getting really like obvious. And for a long time, I'd be like, yeah, well, you just ask a question and journal it. And then I would like start journaling and I'd get in my head too much and I didn't realize I was doing that. And so I'm like, I'm like just supposed to be, people would talk about free writing and I'm like free writing. And I'd be like looking into space, look down at the page and there's just a bunch of scribbles. I'm like, yeah, it didn't work for me. (laughs) But what I realized later on that I was doing was that I was writing a question and then putting pressure on myself for how it should look uh-huh. rather than just saying like, well, what am I thinking now? You know, yeah. like what's automatically coming to mind yeah. and like just giving it that space for maybe something won't come up and maybe something will. Yeah. And in practicing this, it might be where I am at in my life. Maybe motherhood cracked open my intuition. Maybe the fact that I'm not drinking anymore, maybe yeah. all of the things. And all of a sudden now I ask a question and it's like in my own voice, this sentence will come out that is inarguable. It's just like yes. divine truth. And I'm like, yeah. well, you've yeah. just been there the whole time, just like waiting for me to scratch your surface. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and it's, it's amazing how much wisdom and magic emerges when there is none of that resistance. I mean, resistance, that pushing against blocks flow. It just blocks flow. And when you just let it be and let things be, it's amazing. I, it just hundred percent resonate with you. But everything you just said right there. <laughs> so so now that we're feeling it out, and then yep. realizing at the same time that there are no ways that life should be that you should be. What is that's step right. number three? Well, then you got to choice into, number. Three. That's right. Then choice number three. Then you've got to really ease into, and this is a powerful choice, and it's a choice right? Because there aren't, there are very few truths here that we can claim in the world and claim in existence, but this is a choice. And so you ease into the choice. You have to choose to know that it's always working out for you. Because if you're going to feel it out and there's no way things should be, then you got to step into this deep faith that it's always working out, even when it doesn't appear to be working out, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, because everything here is for your highest health and health and wholeness and growth if you choose to see it that way. And so this is where we have to turn, you know, crappy experiences into manure. It's not crap. It's manure. Manure stinks. But guess what? It cultivates beautiful blossoms. And, you know, life is riddled with crappy moments. We are going to, we're going to have extremely challenging times. That's just the nature of being human. We live in a, in, a, in a world of duality. You can't have up without down. You can't have birth without death. You cannot have joy without pain. So we are going to experience unfortunate, hard, contrasting times, but they don't have to be unwanted. They could be part of the process that's the cultivation for what's coming. And so if you choose to know that it's always working out, then it's a game, it's a game changer because now you can turn really unfortunate situations into non-resistant ones where all of a sudden appreciation, gratitude, lessons, and magic will start to emerge from pain, from hard times. But, and it's, but it's a choice. You know, a lot of people can say, oh, this is relieving. And some will say like, how can you say that there's so much pain and there's so much, like there's like, it's a choice. It's a choice. But if you take on the choice, it is freedom. 
And if that's your desired feeling state, which for a lot of people it is, let's be clear, right? We've got to make choices that are going to get us closer to that free, you know, a state of freedom. I've been really good at this in hindsight. And even that's a choice that you have to make. It's not good. It's not easy for everyone or at first, or if you've never done this before in hindsight, a lot of people are still looking at past things that happened to them and being like, this is where I was the victim. This is where my life went awry. This is where everything sucked, which a lot of those things might be true. Yeah. And also there's always another perspective of like, what did those things create? How did those things transform you? And so I had a, a really rough 20s and I, ha- I did all that work with that and I saw how it funneled me exactly where I needed to be. And it was a really, really powerful realization mm. that did take me some years to get to. Yeah. But then when COVID hit, I was like, well, I've got the tools for this. And I was like, all right, everything happens for a reason. But if yeah. I'm being really honest with myself, those were moments. And then the other moments of just like, what is going on? Why are people just falling into the, like, what? <laughs> like, why aren't people thinking? Like, how is this happening? Like, I'm moving. I can't be around this anymore. And it's funny looking back because I can see how I would have like these moments of peace, but there was such a resistance. Like, are you just trying to talk yourself into something that you don't really believe? But I was talking with my husband and we were kind of like, oh yeah, that year, that was a crazy year. And then we started looking at it and it's like, I had said when I was 35 years and I'll have a baby. And I got pregnant at the beginning of COVID. And I don't think I would have made that choice if it wasn't for the world shutting down. Because suddenly I'm like, well, what else am I doing? (laughs) You know? And then we moved to the mountains and I don't think I would have done that because I was, and we had talked so often about it. It's like, well, are we going to stay in LA? Like, can we actually live the life that we want to live in LA? I was addicted to so many of the conveniences of LA. And I'm like, but there's this women's group I'm a part of and my yoga studio. And then my yoga studio shut down and the women's group wasn't meeting anymore. And and so we moved and, and looking back, it's like now that that transition of moving and of getting used to whatever's going on has happened, I can see how it very clearly funneled me exactly where I needed to be. And so That's right. how do you work with yourself or other yeah. people to help them be better at also seeing it and not just saying it in the moment oh, yeah. that everything is working out. <laughs> <laughs> so that they can actually feel the truth in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got a process I call painting forward. And it really essentially takes what you just said and it flips it on its axis so that we can do it presently. So it kind of works like this. In the same way that like you right now, you look back and you can look at those situations that were painful or hard and you're like, oh my gosh, that was awful. But look at how it all worked out and here we are. So it totally serves me. So in our now moment, we can look back to the crappy times or the hard times. And even though they were unwanted at the time, from this point of view, it's actually very purposeful and it's wanted. And we can say, oh, well, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. And so there we've, we've got this great sense of purpose and freedom. So we do that in our now moment looking back. So why not do that in our now moment in a shitty moment looking forward, right? So if we're in a really tough situation, we're in a situation that's unwanted, that's painful, that's, that's not ideal, that's not according to quote unquote plan, then what you do is you just for fun, you, you fast forward a, a while from now. So let's say three years from now, five in. This literally takes moments. And you say, okay, well, let's just imagine three years from now, I'm living the dream. That I'm, I, am, I am in my aspirational state. Now, remember, we feel it out. We don't figure it out. So what's most important about that aspirational state is, well, what do I want to feel three years from now? So let's just imagine. Let's just assume that that's going to come true, okay? That I'm going to be living into my aspirational state. Okay, now from that place, explain why and how this that I'm going through right now is necessary for that, So it converts the whole point of view of resistance to this crappy now moment to a purposeful stepping stone that will naturally give life to lessons and ahas and the people and the opportunities. So you kind of, you paint forward from where you are now, how this is, how this was necessary to get you there. And so you might say, oh, well, 
because I lost this job that means that I'm going to meet this person and I'm going to do this. You come up with whatever narrative you want, but the idea is to make sense of it, recognizing that this is actually necessary to get you where you're intending to go. I love that. I got chills when you were talking about that. And it's funny because just this week I was talking to one of my podcast coaching clients. I help people start podcasts and and the motivation was not there of like, well, how do I show up every day or like how do I frame this? And I'm like, stop working on it as how you want to completely just serve other people. That's the premise of your show, yes, but it's also got to start from something within you. Number 1, mm-hmm. number 2, there's an audience for almost anything. And if you first get clear about how this is going to light you up the most, about how this is going to help you achieve your goals, about how this is going to get you from here to there, then all of a sudden it's not just like trying to create a podcast where maybe in the beginning no one's listening. This is your practice for also becoming a public speaker. That's how this started for me. I was like, well, I want to speak publicly. What can I do to practice that right now with no one's permission where I don't have to be pitching myself? Okay, I'll start a podcast. And then I'm like, well, what are the things I want to work on? I want to work on uh, talking off the cuff. And I also want to work on scripting certain things. So I have different parts of the podcast to work on different things like that. And so it's starting from my own internal drive. And because it's coming from such a passion, it attracted the people that can feel that authenticity and most importantly, it makes it sustainable. So I love the idea of actually doing that with not just our goals, but also the hardships that we're facing right now. Because you can choose to ask yourself and maybe your inner wisdom will answer because there is a plan for this. There is something that this rough time is is basically sanding down to, (laughs) to create the perfect little transformation for you, the one that your soul is calling towards. So again, I think it just takes that space of being willing to sit there in the discomfort and ask like, what's in this for me? Yeah. How might this be on purpose for where I'm headed? How might this be, how might this be, you know, that, that very interesting stepping stone that, you know, three years from now, I'll look back and actually laugh at and just find so much joy in in the story. But right now it sucks. (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to lie, but you know, it's a stepping zone. So I'm going to look at it that way. (laughs) So what's choice number four? Choice number four. This is a big one. And it's it's one of my favorites. And it it, it is this. Choose to know that you are already complete. Yeah. Now this can sound very cliche. I mean, we hear about this sort of stuff all the time. You're complete. I love myself. You know, it's... and, And... you know, there's so much to the story of self-love, but what this is about is is really shoring up that relationship you have with yourself. And a lot of us, just through the process of development, will take on believe, uh, false beliefs of lack in order to make sense of significant perceived rejection in our in our youth. Right. So there's a lot to this story. So I'll just kind of give you the cliff notes here. But you know, a lot of us sustain on some level fears that we might not be good enough or we might not be competent or we might not be smart enough or we might not measure up or we might not be worthy or we might not be deserving. And it's not super overt. It's subtle. And in certain contexts, it might be really intense and not at all present in other contexts, right? But all of us at times will entertain feelings of, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not, I don't measure up or I'm not qualified or I'm not deserving or whatever it might be. That self-relationship causes so much inner opposition, which causes you know us to be below that neutral line mainly. And so much of the unlock is to just make the decision that you were born complete, you are whole and complete, you've been whole and complete. You just decided at some point that you weren't <laughs> in order to make sense of your life situation. But the truth is, at the core, you are already whole and complete. And Again, this is such a big, beautiful conversation and it's a choice. It's a choice, but there's so much available when you actually can see that. And, and in my book, 
you know, I don't just say, hey, just decide that you're whole and complete. I use a lot of logic and a bit of, you know, a bit of social neuroscience to get someone to that point where they can actually organically derive that insight for themselves. Because I think that's important. We can't just take it on. We really have to get to that point where we can choose it. And so having been a math major and just knowing that this is, you know, that my mind works this way, I really had to present a super solid arg- argument and use a lot of logic <laughs> to, to get people to that point where, oh yeah, okay, obvious. It's totally irrefutable that I'm complete. I get that. Okay. Boom. I can choose that. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Where do we get these ideas of perfection or completeness when we've never seen it anyways? <laughs> Is it just the assumptions we make about other people? Like, yeah. like, oh, I see that they're doing this better than me. So they must be doing everything else in their life better than me. Because I guarantee if you followed them around with a camera for a month, you'd find so many things that you're like, oh my God, like totally. You just yeah. never wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't want your money anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't swap lives with you, you animal. <laughs> right. The, here's my hypothesis on this is that, and again, one of the big reasons why I wrote my book is because when I was in becoming certified in conversational intelligence, and it's a lot of neuroscience of trust. And that is when I became privy to the neuroscience of rejection. And let me tell you something, Melissa, when that was the missing piece, everything that I had been studying, everything that I had been researching, everything that I was passionate about, everything that, everything that drove me, this was the missing piece that made it all click. And, you know, my, so here's my very strong hypothesis is that, well, first off, the way our brains are configured, we are all hardwired to be in connection with one another. We know that. Uh, many of us understand that we are hardwired to be more social beings. We need connection. We need to be in a tribe. But we really don't look at this fully. It's like, what's the implications of that? Like, what does that actually mean? Well, equally, we're also hardwired to avoid rejection on not just a conscious level, on a non-conscious level, because rejection is death to the brain. I mean, think about it. For an infant who's just born, an infant cannot survive unless the caregiver buys in. So the brain knows, okay, yeah, food, water, shelter, that's important, but that will all follow if mom or dad or caregiver buys in. So rejection is just as triggering. Any form of social isolation, any sort of social rejection is just as triggering as a tiger jumping out of a bush. The brain can't differentiate between environmental threats and social threats because social threats, rejection, that is, it literally registers as physical pain in the brain. Now, when I learned this, I was, my mind was blown. And I'm like, why are we not shouting this from the rooftops? Why are we not teaching this in schools? Because this can help so many of us make sense of our lives. Oh, that's why I'm so afraid of judgment. That's why I don't want to put myself out there. That's why I'm so afraid of failing. Because it all maps back to this perceived fear of, this fear of rejection, which maps to death, which maps to, ah, I don't want that. And so when we can start to make sense of that, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I, I understand myself so much more. But the bigger question, like where did these false beliefs come from? I am, my, my very strong belief, my hypothesis is it is those, significant, those first experiences of significant perceived rejection. And it's usually benign, right? So like mom not reading you a bedtime story when you're four years old because mom just brought home little baby brother, right? And so that, mom's choosing baby brother over you. Oh my God. Right. So these, these moments that are formidable for us to make sense of that very triggering experience of rejection in order to make sense of it, but more so to protect ourselves from that furthermore, we have to know like, well, why did this happen? Oh my gosh. Oh, well, well, it can't be mom's fault because if it's mom's fault, well then, oh my gosh, we're hosed. Like we'll never survive. So it can't be mom's fault. Must be my fault. I must not be good enough. And so we imprint a self-identification that's not true, but we needed to take it on in order to make sense of that very painful experience. So that in this now belief that I hold, okay, well, I must not be good enough. Well, now if I believe I'm not good enough, now with that belief, it's like lenses. So with these lenses, now I can look out for all the instances in which I might be found out is not good enough. And I better avoid those because if I get found out, it's not good enough. I'm going to die because I'll be rejected. And so we start living conditionally due to these glasses, these beliefs we take on as a result of this fear of rejection. So it's again, like I I get so fired up about this because it just seems, it just seems like, again, why are we not talking about this? 
that's why I had to write the book. I know. I see that realization as so powerful because it's such a perfect illustration that so much of our experiences are neutral and the suffering comes from the meaning that we give them. And so, yep. so often something happens even even just within ourselves, whether or not it's like mom accidentally rejecting you or you thinking that your mom's rejecting you because of this, those things happen. One of the big realizations for me was in with other people, for example, maybe I I realized this a couple of years into marriage, but like something would happen. Maybe I would react emotionally as not my best self, but the brain doesn't want to believe that you are acting illogically. So it'll come up with all the logic. And so something happens just because you're triggered. And then all of a sudden you start packing in all the reasons as to why you did that. And then all of a sudden you have this solid argument against husband about like why he screwed you over because he didn't empty the dishwasher and whatever. And like the meaning that you give us, give it and whatever it is. And, and then, and I'm great at debate. So I can come up with all of the reasons. Sorry, Shane. (laughs) And so then all of a sudden I'm like in my room, ruminating, just making myself miserable. Like, and I'm walk out. Now he's a monster. (laughs) So it's just like, if we can just step back and realize like that was a neutral moment, all of these things are neutral. Even things that look so horrible, it's still just like Life happens. Sometimes bad things happen. It's still not personal. That's exactly Even when right. somebody does something that seems so personal, it's still it's about not. them. You it's know? exactly right. It's exactly right. It has nothing to do with us. That's exactly right. There is no, and I always say that there's no inherent meaning in the system. And we will choose the meaning based upon the lenses that we hold. And the lenses that we ha- hold, the ones we have, that we look through to life outside of us. Those lenses are really the sum total of the beliefs we hold, the experiences we've had. And, you know, and here's the best part. And this is why it goes back to choice. We get to choose our lenses. We get to choose these perceptual lenses. But really to get to the heart of that choice, what is the foundational perceptual lens that I'm looking through that's going to give rise to my reality because it's going to imbue my reality with meaning. To get to the heart of that primary perceptual lens it absolutely stems back to the belief we have about ourselves. That is the fundamental primary lens that we are looking through. And if we want to ultimately free ourselves into a life of, of joy and fulfillment, the, the true lens, the, the only lens we need to be looking at, well, I mean, there's, the one that we really want to attempt is, again, that lens of belief, self-belief. What do I believe about myself? Because that is going to determine how we see everything. And I think that perfectly cues up the final and likely most most life-changing choice, yeah. which is that. <laughs> That's right. And this is a, I, I just, I love, gosh, I love distinctions. And when this distinction emerged, you know, years ago, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is the game changer. And here it is. It's, you have to choose to know, not believe your worth. And this you know, people are like, okay, that's interesting. What does that mean? Well, really what this is about is now when we believe something, beliefs, beliefs are as we're talking about, they're like lenses, right? But the nature of a belief itself, we, we can't have a belief without conditions backing it up, right? So for, in other words, if I say, you know, Melissa, I believe you're a really great person. Well, I wouldn't just say that. That statement doesn't come out of anywhere. That assertion can only exist due to the conditions that I have accumulated to make that assertion. So, oh, I believe you're a good person because you're doing this work and you do your the studies and you have all these amazing stories and you reach God. So all of these conditions map to, hey, here's my belief. So what's, what's important to really point out here is that all beliefs are conditional. You need conditions in order to assert a belief. Now, when your sense of self is in the realm of belief, if, what you, if this relationship you have with yourself is due to a belief well, then you've made yourself conditional. Now I need conditions to validate what I, what I feel about myself. So in order to say that I'm worthy, in order to say that I'm good enough, I need to go do this and I need to go do that and I need to do, 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 do. But the problem with that is the moment we need to go prove our sense of self, we are always going to bump up to an equal amount of proof, proof that validates the opposite because that's the nature of proof. We live in a reality of duality. And so we'll never, ever, 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 ever be free when our sense of self is in the realm of belief. And so we have to transcend that by totally leaping from that paradigm, paradigm of belief, to the paradigm of knowing. 
And knowing is just a choice. I just choose to know that. And it's usually despite the evidence. How many times have you been in a conversation with your husband, right? Shane, I think his name is, right? And you're like, and you're in this argument back and forth. And he's like, yeah, but, and you're like, nope, I just know. And he's like, yeah, but no, look at this. And nope, nope, I just know. I just know. And he's like, but look. And, and he's got this evidence. You're like, I don't care about, like, no, I just know. And there's no <laughs> amount of evidence that's going to knock you from your belief. You're choosing it unconditionally. And so what, what the, the magic of knowing the, the decision to choose to know is that you are now unconditional. And so to choose your worth unconditionally means I'm going to choose to know I'm worthy regardless of what I hear, what I say, what, are, what, what is around me. I'm going to choose that. And from that place, when I know who I am, if I know that I'm enough, if I'm complete, I've essentially taken the glasses off. And here's what's so cool. Because beliefs are glasses, right? If, if, I'm more, if I've got a belief, I'm tuned to look for the evidence. But the moment I take the, the glasses off, in this place of knowing, if I know I'm complete, this is when stuff just becomes stuff. Nothing, nothing now looks like evidence. Nothing is threatening. Nothing looks like proof for or against you being good enough or not good enough. And so it's a big, it's very, it's, it's a simple distinction, but in underneath this simplicity, it's really powerful. It reminds me of the process I went through of getting to my inner knowing. It's like <laughs> I'm sitting here and I have all these preconceived notions of what this is supposed to look like, these expectations I'm setting on myself, these beliefs that are coming through me, questioning if I believe this is even going to happen versus just relaxing into it asking a question and then suddenly it's there yeah. <laughs> without all the thoughts around it. <laughs> yeah. And so the same thing where it's like, get used to that. And maybe, maybe it's difficult at first. Maybe you get in your way at first, but know that it's there and yeah. know that if you just keep showing up, it also reminds me of like the advice that people give to writers where so often you sit there and you're trying to force yourself to write and that's when you get blocks or whatever. But yeah. all you have to do as a writer is choose to sit in front of your computer for like an hour or two hours or whatever it is a day. Yeah. Just choose to sit there and know that something will come yeah. rather than forcing it and, and accepting that some days it might not or some days it looks different. And yeah. the same thing comes back to you. It's like, yeah, some days you don't feel pretty and some days you feel like you're failing and some days this, but if you've already got that underlying knowing that yeah. this is just what it is to be a human and yeah. it's not any fault, like That's it's right. not, this isn't something going wrong. This is just a process to get to where you want to go. It's just such a powerful shift. So <sighs> thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you brought Aww. to this. This was one of my it favorite interviews in a while. It's fun. <laughs> well, this <And> is so, <laughs> fun. <laughs> so for thank listeners you. that are just vibing with you like a bestie <laughs> like I am, what's the best place for them to connect or find your book? Oh, thank you. Well, best. So my book is everywhere books are sold. Probably easiest place is Amazon. And it's titled Living on Purpose, Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and Joy. And, you know, I'm, I do have an Instagram account. I really don't use it. I am big on LinkedIn though. And my handle is Amy Elisa Wong for both. And Elisa's E-L-I-Z-A. Yeah, and my website, Always on Purpose. Lots of stuff on there as well. Alwaysonpurpose.com. All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 241. There are so many challenges I can take from this week's episode. The first one I want to talk about, though, is just being more aware of your choices. Is this choice moving you toward the life you want? Or is it moving you away from the life you want? Because so often we think that this choice is just choosing later. Like procrastinating is just deciding to choose later when really you're building a neural pathway that will increase the likelihood that you procrastinate again. You're building a belief that you are not the type of person that moves forward on your goals. And these are all things that need undoing, which means you're actually taking a step back, not staying where you are. So that's the first paradigm shift that you need to know when it comes to all the choices that you have in this life. And I'm going to give you one more challenge because I think it helps with the first one. And it's what we talked about around feeling it out over figuring it out. So often I get caught up in my head and before I know it, I'm doing the thing I didn't want to do because I'm stuck in a mind loop that's giving me depression or anxiety. When instead, can I just tune into my body? 
is this suffering coming from my mind or from my body? That's such an important distinction to make because so often we think that it doesn't feel good because we've talked ourselves into it not feeling good. We've convinced ourselves it doesn't feel good rather than just tuning into our bodies straight away and asking where we're feeling this, asking what's coming up for us, asking why it's coming up and using that moment to unravel some of the things that are stored there. So those are two things to work on. Be aware of your choices and that you're not choosing later. You're still choosing, even if you're not choosing the thing that's moving you forward and feeling it out rather than figuring it out. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right here on the show notes page. Also, if this episode was helpful for you, please take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Podcast and Mind Love Melissa. I really love to see those shares. If you'd like to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium, where you get an ad-free listening experience, early release episodes, bonus meditations that accompany some of the podcasts, and also 50 exclusive episodes that are only available to premium members. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors, or you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I'll probably read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 